Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Good morning, New City. We are continuing our series, Behold, Believe. And last week, we looked at uh, the message to Mary before Jesus' birth. This week, we've skipped over Jesus' birth to the point where Jesus is just about a month and a half old, and his parents travel to Jerusalem to the temple to present him. Uh, And so we're going to be looking at today, Behold, Salvation and Judgment from Luke 2.21. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll deliver one to you. But I'm going to pray, and then John Jacobson's going to come forward and read the passage for us. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your character. We thank you for your spirit. We just pray this morning that you would be with us and you would illuminate your word to us and that you might change us and give us a deep hope in your salvation. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit according into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. When I was a kid growing up in South Florida in the 80s, there was one sports legend in South Florida in the 80s. Uh, Dan the Man Marino. Dan the Man was it. He was the hero. Uh, Of course, the Miami Hurricanes also had some professionally paid players, but uh, the man in South Florida was Dan Marino. 
He came on the scene in 1983 from the University of Pittsburgh. He had a fantastic rookie season. In his second season, 1984, he just blew away all expectations by breaking records, passing yardage, touchdowns, and leading the Dolphins all the way to the Super Bowl against the 49ers. And unfortunately, we lost that Super Bowl, but he established himself as the hero in South Florida when it came to sports. He was my hero as well. And towards the late 80s or early 90s, I can't remember exactly when it was, one of my friends called me and said, hey, Dan Marino is signing autographs at the local mall. Let's go Saturday. And I talked to my dad. My dad's like, yeah, I'll take you. So we went to the mall, and you had to pay a flat fee, and you could pay, I think it was like 20 bucks, 25 bucks, and then you could wait in line and meet Dan Marino, and he would sign whatever you brought to the table. So my friend and I, uh, we paid the fee. I got in line. We were separated, so he was like in front of me. Uh, but I had this really nice NFL regulation football that I wanted Dan the man to sign. And the line was long. I mean, everyone was there to see Dan and to meet Dan and to get Dan to sign whatever they could. And while I was waiting in line, my imagination started to run away with me a little bit. Uh, because I just got nervous. I was like, wait a minute. This is the guy. I'm getting a chance to meet him right here and right now, this could be life-changing for me. And as a young boy, my imagination just ran away. And as I got to the front of the line, this is what had happened during that half an hour of waiting in line. I determined that I was going to get to the table and say something so profound to Dan Marino (laughs) that he was going to stop signing autographs and look up at me and go, Kid, I don't know what it is, but you've got it. (laughs) And he would put down whatever he was signing and just say, let me take you to lunch. And that would begin my friendship with Dan Marino, where he would call me after games, and he would bring me down on the sidelines Again, I was a young boy, and he was my hero, and this is just going on in my mind, and my imagination is running wild, and I had to figure out this thing that I had to say to get his attention and start this life-changing relationship with Dan Marino, but I couldn't think of anything profound. So I get to the front of the line, and here's my opportunity, and the only thing I could think of was to say something like, are you ready for the Packers on Sunday? I think we were playing the Packers. And so that's what I decided to say. And as I said it, it came out, hey, Dan, are you ready to play the Packers on Sunday? He had my football and he was signing it. But right as I said it, someone else said something to him. And Dan looked up, not at me, but whoever else said something to him, never making eye contact with me and missing everything that I said and then handed me the ball, and it was over. It was done, like that there was my opportunity blown because someone else had gotten his attention. And I walked away from that line as a little boy with this football in my hand, signed by Dan Marino with this beautiful silver paint, having waited in line, having all this longing built up over what seemed like hours, but I walked away disappointed. Disappointed. I walked away 
disappointed. I had waited so long. I had so much longing built up into meeting Dan, and it just didn't go like I thought it was going to do. I thought it was going to develop into this life-changing relationship, this sort of new life that I was about to have by meeting Dan Marino and saying something profound, and it wasn't that at all. It was actually rather disappointing. All of us are waiting in line for things in our lives. We are longing to get our hands on something that we think will change our life. For some of us, it is that new job that we just know we need. For others of us, it is that special someone that we're just longing to meet. Others, it's respect. We just want the respect of that person, or we want that new setup. And as we're waiting in line for those things to happen in our lives, sometimes our imaginations can run a little wild about what those things will actually deliver for us. We think that our lives will be forever different. And it's not that those things aren't good things, but at times we can make those good things ultimate things. We think that getting those new things in our life will give us this freedom. It will give us this lasting peace or it will restore us in a final way. And at times we can look at those things and wait for those things and long for those things and in our imagination, elevate them to a place of salvation. If I can only get that in my life, if I can only get that in my presence, if I can only get my hands on that thing, it will develop my life into something different. And we look to those things as a type of salvation. But the only thing that deserves that kind of emotional energy or that forceful, decisive waiting or that level of intense longing is not salvation from things, but salvation in Jesus. Salvation in Jesus, because in Jesus is ultimate salvation. In our text for today, as I said, Jesus is barely a month and a half old, if that. After eight days, he was circumcised and named, and then after a total of 40 days, his parents come from Nazareth up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, to present him at the temple. And and if you're not Jewish, what they're doing seems strange, especially for someone to do to Jesus, who's the Messiah. But the reason that they're doing these things, the reason that they're following the law is because that Jesus was born under the law to redeem those also under the law. Galatians 4 says that God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, part of what Jesus does in his life is he perfectly fulfills the law. And that's what's happening right now as he goes up to the temple in Jerusalem, carried by his parents at just 40 days old. And the part of the law that they're specifically following is two things, a purity and a presentation. A purity had to do with a sacrifice that was made. Anytime a human being had blood spill from their body, purification had to be made. And a family of a newborn baby would offer a sacrifice at the temple for purification after childbirth. And normally families would give a sacrifice of a lamb and a sacrifice of a turtle dove or a pigeon. But families that were impoverished 
could not afford the lamb, so there was provision in the law for them to give two birds instead of the, the bird and the more expensive lamb. And so we learn again that Je- Jesus is born into an impoverished family because his family offers the two birds instead of the bird and the lamb. But then secondly, what is being fulfilled is that Jesus is being presented to God at the temple like all firstborn Jewish boys were at that time. And that's a throwback to the exodus from Egypt. Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And after a series of plagues, Pharaoh would still not let the people go. And so the final plague was that all the firstborns in the land of Egypt were killed, except for the firstborns from families that had the blood of a lamb pasted over their doorpost so that God would pass over that particular house. That's where we get the Passover from. And families would go to the temple in Jerusalem to reenact what had happened at the Exodus. They would bring their firstborn to present to God. And then, through sacrifice, they would be given their firstborn back as a reminder of what had happened in the Exodus and what had happened at Passover. And that through God's mercy and through sacrifice, the firstborn of the Israelites was spared. And so this is what Mary and Joseph are doing as good Jewish people at the temple in Jerusalem. And there at the temple in Jerusalem is a godly man named Simeon. He's an old man. Verse 25 and 26 says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. When it says that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel, what it means is that Simeon was waiting for the Messiah. Simeon was longing for the one that God would send to restore Israel. After Israel had escaped from Egypt, they were brought into the promised land, but they disobeyed God. And they were taken into exile. They were captured and led out of the promised land. And although they were restored and although forgiveness happened, they were back in Israel under the oppression of Rome. Their land was not their own. And so we see prophecies in the Old Testament throughout the book of Isaiah about this coming consolation, this coming salvation through a Messiah. You'll recognize these passages. Isaiah 40 says, Comfort Comfort for my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And at the end of the chapter, it says this, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That passage is talking about waiting for God to restore Israel through the Messiah. And then here's another one in Isaiah that talks about this coming consolation. This one's talking specifically about the Messiah. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so these passages represent the coming consolation that Israel had waited for for hundreds and hundreds of years and that Simeon is currently waiting for. That the Messiah would come and set the people of God free and restore them to their place in God's purposes, free from oppression, experience a deep forgiveness. And here Simeon is waiting for the consolation. And it's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he will meet the consolation. He will see the consolation before he dies. And there he has a chance meeting in the temple, except it's not a chance meeting at all. The Holy Spirit leads him to Mary and Joseph holding Jesus, who's just a month and a half old. In verse 28, he takes up Jesus in his arms. Simeon takes Jesus up in his arms and blesses God. For Simeon, he realizes that everything that Israel has been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and everything that he's been waiting for in particular, he's now holding in his arms a baby, and well, an infant in his arms. The one that was promised to heal Israel was in his arms. The one that was coming to deliver Israel was in his arms. The, the one who would bring forgiveness, he's holding in the palms of his hands the baby who's named Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, is right there. And Simeon says, I can die now. I'm ready. I'm ready for the end of the road. I've seen the salvation of the Lord. I've held the salvation of the Lord. In verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon's longing and waiting are thought-provoking. Are thought-provoking and should make us ask questions about our own lives and our own relationship with God. What are we really waiting for from God? What are we really waiting for? You know, God's deepest consolation, God's greatest comfort to us as broken people in the broken world is not some change in your life, but it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings salvation to broken people like you and me. Amen. And the question before us is, are we waiting for a greater consolation, a greater comfort than that? That is God's greatest comfort to us. Now, I understand that each of us is praying for things to happen in our lives. All of us are asking God to do things in our lives. We want change. We want breakthrough. We want advancement. We all have ambitions. And yet, often in our minds, we can look to those things as if once we get them, they will bring us ultimate peace. They will bring us lasting freedom. 
We look to those changes and those things as if they will save us. I can't really live until I get that job. I can't truly be free until I'm back on top. I can't get any peace unless they fill in the blank. I can't find any real meaning in life until fill in the blank. And we wait for those things and long for those things as if they are Messiahs offering us salvation. As if they have ultimate significance, as if that's what will make our lives be meaningful and give us peace and freedom. And none of those things can give us the ultimate peace or ultimate meaning or ultimate freedom. In fact, oftentimes when we get those things in our life, they're often much more messier than we expected, and many times they just fall apart. I went home with that football. I went home with that football with the beautiful Dan Marino silver paint signature on it. And if Dan hadn't started that friendship that I'd been waiting for with me, at least I had this football. And I got home with that football. And as a young boy, I just couldn't help myself. I had to touch the signature. Now, it had been an hour, an hour and a half, so I was sure it was dry, except when I touched that silver signature, it was not dry. And there, just hours after, hours after Dan the man had signed this football, here I have this NFL football with a smeared O in Dan Marino. I kept that football in my closet for 25 years, occasionally pulling it out, thinking that somehow the, the, the signature would magically go back to the way it was. And actually, just a couple months ago, I realized it's not going to be transformed. And I threw the football out. What good is a football with a smeared Dan Marino signature on it? No one wants to buy that. But even that consolation I was looking for in that football fell apart right in front of me as soon as I got my hands on it. And it's often like that when we put ultimate significance in things that aren't meant to have or hold ultimate significance. They crumble right in our hands. They crumble right in our hands. But Simeon, Simeon shows us something about the deepest waiting in our hearts, the, the deepest longing of the human heart when it revolves around God and his saving work, which is meant to carry the weight of our deepest hopes and our deepest waitings and our strongest longings. A man who sees and holds salvation in Jesus Christ and says, I can die now. This is it. This is the most significant moment of my life. Here it is. Have you experienced salvation of God through Jesus in such a way that you could say, that's it, man. That's the big check mark and check box. I'm ready. Everything else is secondary. I'm saved through Jesus Christ. I've experienced salvation. My life has meaning and hope and joy because of that. Because that's what God is meaning for you to do. Jesus and salvation in Jesus is God's deepest comfort for you. It is his greatest consolation to you. Salvation in Jesus Christ. And so ask yourself, is salvation in Jesus your deepest consolation? Is your deepest consolation what God has done for you through giving of his son? 
We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Because salvation through Jesus Christ is the thing that God has made the most about throughout history. Simeon goes on to say that this salvation was prepared in the presence of all people. And he's not just saying something poetic there. There's actually some geography to that. If you can put up the next slide. Uh, the, The area that's circled red is the promised land of Israel. And if you notice that that land is actually in the middle of several different continents. In fact, during that time, the people of God lived in the land of God, and that area was like a land bridge. You see on the bottom right there, it says impassable desert. And so if you wanted to go to anywhere else in the known world, you had to pass through Israel. And right on the center world stage is the people of God. And what Simeon is saying is God has given so much significance to salvation in Jesus Christ that he literally put it at the center of the world stage. So that as people pass through, they could hear about this one who was coming, this Messiah. And as Jesus was born, he would literally be in the spotlight of the known world, in the middle of this land bridge. Why do you think God did that? Because God wants all people to see salvation in Jesus Christ. In verse 32, he says, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What he's saying is that salvation is for all people, but it comes through Israel. And Israel's glory The greatest thing about them is that the Messiah for the whole world is coming through them, through them. God makes such a big deal about salvation through Jesus Christ that he puts it at the middle of the known world and calls it the greatest thing about his promised people. Well, Mary and Joseph in verse 33, it says that they they marveled about this. They, They marveled. And what that means is They had understood that Jesus had something to do with Israel's national hopes. But I don't think they understood that Jesus had something to do with international purposes of God. In other words, they thought he was a Messiah for the people of God, but they didn't quite understand that what Jesus was doing was global. Pitbull calls himself Mr. 305, but he also calls himself Mr. Worldwide, right? Because he's based out of Miami, but he wants and is attempting to bring his music to the entire world. Well, it's something similar with Jesus. He comes from Israel, but the goal is to bring salvation to the whole world. And it's not just something that he attempts, it's something that he accomplishes. And here's why. We know he accomplished it, because if you're sitting in this room as a Christian, Jesus' salvation has gone worldwide. At this time, Simeon had no idea there was a place called the Americas and Miami, Florida, and here we are, experiencing salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus' salvation has truly gone global because God's consolation to a broken world 
is salvation through Jesus Christ. But then Simeon says something that's troubling. He's been talking about salvation, but then he says something troubling about judgment. In verse 34, Simeon blesses them and says to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus says the consolation of God is, first of all, appointed, which means he's chosen by God. He has a unique role in the story and purposes of God. He has a unique work that no one else has. Specifically, he is appointed for the fall and rising of many. Meaning that Jesus Christ, this child, this month and a half old baby that Simeon has looked at, Simeon is looking at, is a, is a crossroads. Is a crossroads for people. That presents the destiny of people. Either they're rising or they're falling as they come before this baby. The, the baby has something to do with either everyone's rescue or everyone's demise. And the way Simeon puts it, it could actually be a great reversal for those who are living their life and things are going well. It could actually be that coming to the crossroads of this baby means a descent. But for those who think their life is not worth much, coming to this baby could actually mean a rescue and a victory. The Christ child presents a crossroads for the fall and rising of many, and he says in Israel, but he's already told us that, that this baby is not just for God's people, but for the entire world, for every human being. Every human being that comes into contact with this Messiah, their destiny is in the balance. And because of that, he will be controversial. Next, Simeon says, for a sign that is opposed, meaning that as people experience this person, he will not be universally accepted. Many will oppose him. Many will reject him. But that rejection will ultimately bring clarity. Verse 35, the last two lines, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In other words, what's revealed in people's hearts about this child, about this consolation from God, about Jesus Christ, reflects their heart towards God. In this child is salvation from God, a consolation from God, and there's no other way to God except through this child. There's no neutrality about the Messiah. What matters most to each of us is what is revealed in our hearts about Jesus. Because what's revealed in our hearts about Jesus is ultimately what's revealed in our hearts about God and our posture towards him. If we're humble before this Messiah, we're accepted by God. Ultimately, it will bring clarity. And this is meant to actually bring us to a point of crisis. A point of crisis about our own lives that Jesus himself wanted us to wrestle with. We read this last week. We'll read it again this week in John 
hear these words knowing that they're from Jesus himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Amen. Jesus came to save, not condemn. But, next slide. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. See, Israel had rebelled against God, and just like Israel was separated from God during that time, we ourselves have been separated from God because of our sin and are in need of reconciliation. And Jesus came, and when he came, he didn't come to bring judgment, but to bring salvation. But to not trust in Jesus is to stay under the judgment of God and not receive God's salvation through Jesus. Now, I know some people say, listen, pastor, I am not very religious. Good sermon, but I'm not very religious. I've got other things going on. I've got other things that I'm pursuing, other longings that I'm chasing, other things that I'm waiting in line for in my life. And I understand that we all are pursuing the things that we want to pursue, and we're waiting for the things that we're waiting for, and we're longing for the things that our heart screams out for. But we're pursuing those things as if they offer us salvation, as if they're more important than Jesus. And pursuing those things at such a deep level could be the very thing that's keeping you from seeing your great need for forgiveness from a holy God who loves you and has sent his son to save you. And the reality is everyone's religious about something. You could say Christians are religious, but everyone's religious about stuff. You can be religious about your happiness. You can be, have longings from your heart turn into life-defining lusts. Your religion can be gaining possessions or power or positions, and those things become your life's greatest pride. But there can be no neutrality about Jesus. It's meant to throw us into crisis. Either we believe and trust in him, we've given our life over to him, and we've received salvation and forgiveness and relationship with God and security about our eternal position with him or we don't believe. There's no neutrality. According to Jesus, there's no neutrality. We remain separated, destined for a fall, destined for judgment. And the question for us today is, where are you? As you behold this child, the consolation of God for broken people living in a broken world, do you believe? Do you trust him? Have you turned away from running your life and given it to him? Don't miss Jesus. Don't ignore the crisis that Simeon puts before us. 
But also don't miss what Simeon says to Mary. Because Simeon says something to Mary that, if it were me, would throw me into crisis. We skipped over one little line in verse 35. As he's telling her all these things, he says to Mary, who's holding her newborn baby, Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That's not something that anyone wants to hear about their child. Simeon is prophesying about a great pain that Mary will experience when she stands at the foot of the cross and watches her son hang on a Roman cross, pain for the sins of the world. See, all good Jewish mothers showed up at the temple to present their firstborns and then get that firstborn back. But Mary ultimately would get her son back, but only temporarily. Just as God saved at Passover through the sacrifice in place of a firstborn, so God will save humanity at the cross through Jesus, the sacrifice for the world. Ultimately, Mary would not get her son back. And in Jesus going to the cross, it's not just that our judgment disappears, but he goes to the cross as a sacrifice himself, meaning that the judgment of God against sin doesn't just evaporate, it goes on him. God's judgment against sin is placed on Jesus Christ and not on us. The sword that pierces through Mary's soul is the very thing that brings you and I freedom and salvation. The judgment falls on Jesus instead of you and me. He's the final sacrifice. And that's why to reject Jesus is to stay under judgment for sin because Jesus absorbed God's judgment against sin for you and me. And to trust him by turning away from running your own life and receiving Salvation is to move out of the way of God's judgment and let Jesus take it for you. It's to receive salvation. And through salvation, to have a restored relationship with the God of the universe. And through salvation, to have an inner peace and a lasting peace with God. And through salvation, to have a freedom with God, to know that whatever you do or don't do, your relationship with him is not based on performance. And through salvation, to have a life of deep meaning and purpose. Because God has a purpose for you. And through salvation, to know the God of the universe. Because Jesus took the judgment that you deserve and offered you salvation. Don't you long for that? Isn't there something about the peace and restoration and freedom and purpose of that that we are all waiting for? You don't have to wait. Through Jesus Christ receiving the judgment that you deserve, restoration and peace and freedom and purpose is yours because of salvation through him. You're no longer under God's judgment if you believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait. It can be yours today. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you willingly went to the cross for us to take the wrath of God against sin, to take the judgment of God that we deserved and offer us the position of beloved sons and daughters when we trust in you and believe in you. We thank you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your words would go deeper into all of our hearts for those wrestling with these things that you might clarify in their hearts. For those of us that believe but need that belief to go deeper, Lord, might your word give us deeper confidence that we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.